Please turn with me in your scripture to 1 Peter as we continue along in this uh, letter uh, of the Apostle, 1 Peter chapter 2. Begin reading at verse 11. We're going to read down through verse 17, and we're going to be focusing on verses 13 uh, through 17 uh, this morning. So 1 Peter chapter 2, beginning at verse 11 down to verse uh, 17. This is the word of the Lord. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people, live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray uh, together. Heavenly Father, uh, as we always do, uh, we need your help as we come to open the scripture. You've told us that this is your breathed out word. We've confessed that the spirit is the giver of life. And so, Lord, we know that these words will remain simply words upon a page unless your Holy Spirit is at work in us and among us, even in this place. And so, Lord, we pray that you would graciously be in our midst in this hour and that we would know your gracious presence, opening our eyes to the truths you have for us. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, we have been uh, considering the uh, letter of the Apostle Peter uh, to the church as a, a letter that really has its theme as uh, how are Christians to live in this world, especially a world that is often, uh, often um, increasingly hostile to genuine believers in Christ. And uh, last time we saw, especially how do we live in this world, when we also have the problem of our own passions, when we've got this uh, war way being waged against our soul uh, by this sinful nature still yet within. How do we deal with that? And uh, so this is the great question the Apostle Peter is addressing in this letter, and he returns to it again and again, examining every aspect of it. I suppose it's, it's kind of similar to the question I faced when I was 10 years old, and I would get off the, uh, I'd get off the school bus at the end of the English Settlement Road, and um, I'd have to uh, bicycle home or, or walk home, knowing that as I approached home, that our neighbor's angry dog was going to be uh, barking at me, and the question for me always every day was, what am I going to do? Um, am I going to throw stones at this dog? Am I going to turn back and run away? Uh, or do I just keep on going home? Uh, well, the heart of the Christian life, Peter has told us, lies in the new birth, being born again uh, by the incorruptible seed of the Word of God. It all starts there. There is no living in a hostile world as a Christian unless you first 
have been actually born again by the Word of God. He has to open our eyes to that truth. That's the heart of the matter. The foundation of the Christian life, Peter told us, is the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Uh, because Jesus has risen, as we heard when we had the uh, memorial service for Bob Forche, uh, because of the resurrection of the dead, your faith, thankfully, good news, not in vain. Jesus is risen. And so you've got new hope, you've got a new assurance, you've got new life. Because Jesus has risen from the dead, you too not only will rise, but rise now. You've already risen to new life. The continuing motivation of the Christian life, says Peter, is that when we've tasted and seen that the Lord is good, uh, we continually keep coming back to Him. We keep coming back to that living stone to draw from Him and strength from Him and encouragement from Him because we ourselves are living stones uh, united together in the great spiritual house God is building that we might offer spiritual sacrifices to God. And, and recently we saw the glory of the Christian life. That is that you and I uh, are, call, are called through Jesus to be a chosen race, a royal priesthood, uh, a holy nation, uh, a peculiar people, a people who are God's own possession. We are God's treasured possession. That's your calling. And then last time we, we considered the purpose of your life. The purpose of your Christian life. That is to live as pilgrims in this world. Strangers in this world. The sin of this world does not attract you. Your, the, the passions of your flesh, they're waging war against you. But you, you keep on living a good life. A life according to the word of God. Because you're born again. You're living according to his world in this world. And you know what's going to happen, says the Lord? Um, as you do that, God may be pleased to use your witness... As you do good in the face of evildoers, so that those evildoers at one day will glorify God. That's, that's our, our purpose. Testimony to the glory of God. And now, <clears throat> in this uh, latter part of chapter 2, the Apostle Peter is going to do some meddling. You ever hear that expression when a preacher gets a little too practical? I, don't, I think that's in the South or something, right? Where, you know, in the, at the end of the sermon or something, someone will say, now, preacher, you're meddling. You know, you're getting into our business. Uh, well, it's not me. It's the apostle. So he's going to give us some concrete examples. Oh, this is good. Isn't, it? Isn't this good? The Bible actually says, okay, you need to live for Christ despite all the opposition. Here's an example uh, that Peter will give us. This calling of God we have is meant to be lived out in the trenches. And it's important. Peter was not giving the Christian church some cotton candy teaching to reflect on. You know, cotton candy uh, tastes good, makes a big mess, uh, but it's not very, it's not very nutritious. Um, you know, Christianity is not the same as the mindfulness movement. Christianity is not about simply getting a new intellectual vision for life. No. Uh, Christianity is meant to be lived uh, in a hostile land, and it's going to take blood, sweat, and tears for the people of God. And so, in verses 13 to 17, Peter speaks to the church of the civil authorities. He speaks to them of government. He speaks of their rulers. He speaks of their king. He speaks of their governors. And the first thing he says is this, is that submission uh, in the Bible, submission is not... A dirty word. Listen to these words. Be subject. That is, be in submission. For the Lord's sake, 
to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor supreme or to governors as sent by him, to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good, for this is the will of God. You could add that, for this is the will of God, to verse 14, or it could be preferencing verse 15. This is the will of God. Be subject. It means to uh, submit yourselves. The word means to literally uh, to place yourself under. That is to subordinate. To in your mind and in your thinking, you're ordering things, and you you order. I'm I'm I'm, I'm placing myself, submitting myself under the authority that God has given. Now the apostle in this uh, letter is not shy to use the word submission, or to be in subjection. So in verse 18 of this chapter, he'll say this, Servants, uh, be subject to your masters uh, with all respect. Chapter 3, verse 1, Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won with a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Uh, verse 5 of chapter 3, For this is how the holy women who hope to in God used to adorn themselves by submitting uh, to their own husbands. Verse 22, uh, Who has gone, Jesus, into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected uh, to him. Chapter 5, verse uh, 5, we read these words, uh, speaking of uh, elders in the church, or likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. Submission was not a dirty word uh, for the Apostle Peter. Now, this verb in this passage uh, is synonymous uh, simply with the word obey. Now, the thought here, of course, is not about losing your dignity, uh, but simply, again, placing yourself under, that is, recognizing the authority uh, that God has instituted. You do that for the Lord's sake, says Peter. For the Lord's sake. Well, what? Wait a minute. Well, for the Lord's sake... Well, that means that whatever Peter's commanding, we'll talk about that, what is he exactly commanding? But whatever he's, he's commanding here has to do with the honor of Jesus, has to do with the honor of the Lord, has to do with a matter of faith. This has to do with your, your Christianity, this command. You do it for uh, the Lord's sake, that is to honor the Lord. That is submission to authority here is submission to God. And so we remember, for instance, in the, uh, in the fifth commandment, um, honor your father and mother. You might remember, uh, how does our shorter catechism define the requirement of honoring your father and mother? Well, it's not just about your parents. It's about all authority. This is what we believe. The fifth commandment requireth the preserving the honor and performing the duties belonging to everyone in their several places and relations as superiors, that is, those in authority, inferiors, those as under authority, and equals, those who have the same authority, right? And so we recognize uh, that the Lord is concerned with how we think about the authorities and how we submit to them for the Lord's sake. Uh, here, the Bible says, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, or it could be translated this way, every institution ordained for people. That is, every governmental body. We could think about any, any legislative body, whether it be, says Peter in his day, emperor or king, translated that way, or, uh, or the governors, 
they send on their behalf, or we could think in our day of whatever other form of government they may be that is instituted for the people, whatever the government may be. Peter says the job, by the way, of those governors is to punish evil uh, and uh, to uh, praise those who do good. So if you're in politics this morning, if you're a uh, in authority somehow, if you're a government leader of somehow, you know somebody who's in government, they ask you, boy, I wish I knew what my job was. Uh, <laughs> well, the Bible tells us uh, what their job is. And so if, uh, if you're a Christian in, in government serving in politics, you need to know then, don't you, what is good and evil? Because the Bible says that's your main job. And so we pray for our governors and leaders that they would know what's good and evil. And the way they know good and evil is, of course, because God has revealed it to us in his word. But that's kind of an aside by Peter. That's not his focus here. That is their job. But I want you to pause right here. Remember verse 12. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. The beloved people of God live for God in all their living, Peter tells us, so that others might come to glorify God because of what they've observed in our life. And here's the thing. What's the, um, what's the first area of living the Apostle Peter says will demonstrate who you belong to? Uh-oh. The Apostle Peter says the first place where we're going to get meddling is your attitude to the government. Peter says that'll demonstrate who you belong to before an angry world. Yeah, that's your witness to the world, first of all. Peter's not alone here. Romans 13, of course, uh, tells us that the governing authorities that be, they're there by God. Submit ourselves to them. Uh, Titus uh, also uh, gives this, uh, gives this uh, same instruction. Titus chapter 3, uh, verses, verses 1 and 2, speaks in the same way. But here, Peter's examples are the emperor and the king, um, whom we are to be subject to. The emperor of Rome, from 54 to 68 AD, during the time of Peter's writing, uh, and the emperor under Peter, whom, whom Peter himself would eventually be martyred, was Emperor Nero. The one who, uh, as you may have read in your church history, used Christians at times as human tortures in his gardens. The emperor who married his sister and murdered his mother. The emperor who, uh, at one time, uh, as it's told, uh, proclaimed his, uh, his, his horse a senator as things went from bad to worse in Rome. So as Peter's using these words, he's got somebody in mind. Or to governors as sent by him. So during Peter's day, the apostle, who was, well, you got Pilate, who uh, Jesus, I wash my hands of this. You've got Felix. Uh, you've got Festus, before whom Paul came. And, uh, you know, one of them said to Paul, Oh, Paul, you've almost persuaded me to be a Christian. We don't know if he was serious or just mocking Paul. You, you don't think you can convince me to be a Christian. 
Now, Peter does not say, notice here, friends, Peter does not say be subject to Christian emperors. He does not say be subject to Christian governors, but ignore the unbeliever. Peter does not say be subject when you agree with the emperor or when you agree with the governor. Um, Is that how you raised your children? Kids, God calls you to submit to authority, honor your father and mother. And uh, but I understand if, if you don't agree with me, you don't have to eat those asparagus. You're three years old, right? Oh, and I, I told you don't touch the stove. But well, you know, if you think it's a good idea to touch the stove, you go ahead. Well, Lord willing, none of you are parenting that way. Um, no, of course you don't, because uh, you see, submission doesn't mean agreeing. When you agree with somebody, that's called agreement. (laughs) Submission is called obeying when you disagree. You see, you submit yourself to that authority. And friends, as much as COVID has been a health issue in our country, it has been a great revealer of what Christians truly believe. And what it means to love God, honor the authority, and love our neighbor. As much, and I'd say more, than it's been a health issue. It has revealed before the world what you and I really believe in our heart. As Peter said, it would. Peter does not say be subject when you feel like it, disobey when it's inconvenient to obey. Now, there's only one place in the Scripture and one reason the Bible gives for not being subject to the governing authorities. That is when those authorities would require you to sin, either by doing what God tells you not to do. That is, the authorities say, you have to do this. They say, well, God says I can't. You don't obey. Or uh, by hindering you from doing what God commands you to do. And this is where over the past years, we've, we've, the church and the state, oh, but God calls us to worship on the Lord's Day. Well, there's this health issue, and, and this is where all over the land we've had to work through these issues. How, how can we obey God and yet honor the authorities? And of course, Christians differed on their answer to that question. But what is not in question to the Bible is there is only one reason uh, to not obey the authority, and that is when you and I are required to sin or hindered from obedience to the Word of God. We find that in Acts 4 and Acts 5, of course. Why do Peter and John, why do the apostles say we must obey God rather than men? Because the authority says you cannot preach Jesus. And they said, no, God's clear about that. We must. Too bad for you. Uh, We cannot obey. We must obey the Lord. Now, friends, here's the thing. Why is disobedience to authorities and God-honoring submission to authorities so important? Well, remember Jesus before Pilate in John 19, uh, where Pilate is threatening Jesus. Remember what Jesus says to him? He says, listen, Pilate, you would have no authority over me at all unless God... My father had given it to you. Father gives that authority. Or Paul in Romans 13, 2 and 4, he calls the governing authorities the servants 
the ministers, the diakonos of God. That's what they are. And again, if you're in politics, if you're in authority, that's who you are. You're either a faithful servant or you're unfaithful. But for us, we need to understand they are servants of God, placed there by God. And God's command here is, um, you know, it didn't matter if government likes Christians. It doesn't matter if government treats Christians fairly. In fact, in Peter's day, it's obvious they're being persecuted. God's command is to submit yourselves to those authorities unless you're required to sin. Well, here's a heart check for us. Now, if I asked you, how can you best evangelize or witness to your family, friends, or neighbors? What would you say? Well, you might say, uh, well, I, I need to let them know I don't smoke, I don't drink, I don't swear. And that would be a good... A witness. Well, Peter would say this, uh, do you pray for President Biden and Vice President Harris, or do you slander them? That's your witness for Christ. The end of verse 17 says, honor the emperor. That is simply the word for respect. That is respect authority. Teach your children to honor the authorities, president, governor, uh, police. You want to see what a society looks like that has no respect for the authority of God? No respect for the authority, and eventually no respect for, for law enforcement either. Have you seen any of that lately? Have you seen it even among Christians? I, I dare say you have. Oh, teach your children the scripture if they would live in this world. This is living for Christ. This is the first way, says Peter, to be a witness for Jesus. Submission is not a dirty word. And you say, well, wait a minute, I can't do it. Oh, no? Have this mind among yourselves, which is, your, which is yours in Christ Jesus. If you're a Christian, this is your mind. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. You got a problem with submission? You need to look to the Lord Jesus Christ. This, says Peter, is our first witness to the world. And secondly, freedom. Uh, Submission is not a dirty word. Freedom, says Peter, is not an excuse for evil. Or sin. Notice what he says. Uh, verse, uh, verse 15 here. He's been speaking about submission to authority. Then he says this. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free. Not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, uh, but living as servants of God. So I know you've asked yourself this question. I've asked myself this question in in, in past years when I was young and older. Uh, Lord, if I just knew your will. God, what is your will for my life? Here it is. This is the will of God. That by doing good, that is good is, again, defined by God. It's defined in his word. By doing good, when you're living in a hostile culture, when you're faithful to the Lord, walking with the Lord, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish People, keep doing good. Keep following the Lord. 
Keep walking in faithful covenant relation to your covenant God. God is good. His word and law define what's good uh, and righteous and holy. Do good, says Peter. Obey God. Walk in his ways. That is, uh, don't slander back. That is, uh, don't run away. That is, don't play their game. But keep on doing what is right and good and pleasing to the Lord. First thing to know here, says Peter, is that by doing good, walking in God's ways, as God's people, as his treasured possession, those who are born again, who have this new hope, new life, new assurance, you've been born again by the word of God, you crave the word of God. The first thing you need to know, says Peter, is that as you do that, uh, you will silence the ignorance of foolish people. Now, you might be saying to yourself, yeah, go, Peter, you're giving it to him now. A little bit of name-calling never hurt. Uh, no, that's not what Peter is doing. Uh, he's not name-calling here. Uh, he's using his words carefully, and all these words are defined biblically. The ignorant talk of foolish men. Ignorant here means a purposeful, disobedient closing of the mind to what is clearly revealed by the Lord. That is, uh, that is ignorant here. A purposeful, disobedient closing of the mind to something revealed by the Lord. You want an instance of this? Turn with me in your Bibles. Turn to uh, Acts 13. Turn to Acts 13, uh, verse, uh, verse 26. Acts 13, 26. What is ignorance? What is ignorant talk? Well, it's when you, when you close your eyes to what's obvious, what God's revealed to you. Acts 13, 26 goes like this. Brothers, sons of the family of Abraham, this is Paul speaking, and those among you who fear God, to us has been sent the message of this salvation. For those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not recognize him nor understand the utterances of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, fulfilled them by condemning him. And though they found in him no guilt worthy of death, they asked Pilate to have him executed. That's ignorance. Uh, that, is, that, is, that is, you know, Jesus Christ comes before them. Jesus Christ fulfills everything of the Old Testament. He is the Messiah. He is the, uh, he is the coming king. They don't have any, any charge to bring against him, and yet they want him dead. That in the Bible is called ignorance. That is a willful disobedience to the clear revelation of what God is doing. Foolish people, well, Psalm 53 describes what a fool is. It says a fool says in his heart, what? There's no God. Why is that foolish? Because, <laughs> because the Bible says the heavens open your eyes. And if you can't open your eyes, you feel in your own body. Everything is declaring the glory of God. Are you deaf? Yes. Are you blind? Yes. No God. That, says the Bible, is a fool. All the evidence. And yet you, you rail against him as if he wasn't, wasn't there. But he is there. Here's the thing. Peter says, when you continue in the United States today and tomorrow and months to come to obey God, and do good. Submit to the authorities, walking in God's ways, you will silence these folks. That is, you don't give them any ammunition against God's people or against the gospel. And you live, of course, in imitation of your Savior. 
before Pilate. Remember, before Pilate in Luke 23, Pilate says, oh, well, we've, you know, everybody's been looking for evidence against you, but um, can't find any. And uh, you know how that passage ends, though. Yeah, Jesus, we've, you know, everyone says you're, clearly you're not guilty of what they're saying. And then the very last part of that passage says this, and so Pilate had him flogged. It's like, what? Yeah, that's ignorance. Foolishness. You silence, you see, there's no ammunition given to the world when we continue to walk in faithfulness to the Lord. Silence is the word used elsewhere in the Bible for muzzling an animal. You know, think about a pit bull. Think about a, a rabid dog and you, you put, a, put a muzzle on there. It's the same words that's used of Jesus in his action, interaction with the demons. He silenced them, muzzled them. Same word used of Jesus in his act, interaction on the, on the Sea of Galilee when he muzzles the winds and the waves. Silenced them. Same word used of Jesus in his interaction with the Pharisees who had nothing but evil to say of him. The Bible says he silenced them. He... Muzzled. They, 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 had nothing, they had no charge to bring against him. Let's see. But you might say, wait a minute, Apostle Peter. Wait a minute. I thought the Bible was all about freedom in Christ. I don't know if ever you, uh, any of you have ever seen the movie Braveheart by Mel Gibson, where he's William Wallace, paints himself all up in blue, and uh, cries out, freedom! Several times. I'll just do it once. <laughs> for your sake. You know, Scotland fought for freedom. And William Wallace. Wait a minute, Apostle Peter. Doesn't the Bible say the truth will set you free? America is the land of the free. We fight for freedom. I'm proud to be an American, or at least I know I'm free. Why should I, as an American, submit or be subject to anybody? And if a foolish person, you know what, in America, if a foolish person attacks me, slanders me, I'm free to respond in kind, because I'm American. Canadians would say the same. Hold on. Hold on. That might be, that might play well on MSNBC or CNN or Fox. Any one of them. But it is not in the Bible. It is, um, it is nowhere in the Bible. Instead, this is what's in the Bible. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. See, friends, Christians are free by God's grace. We're free from guilt of sin. We're free from the power of sin. And we have been set free, the Bible says, in order to serve. You know what Jude says about freedom? Uh, this is what he says, Jude verse 3. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. You have to keep going back to contending for what has been delivered to the saints of old. For certain people have crept in unnoticed to the church, 
who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people, what do they do? Who pervert or twist the grace of our God into sensuality and deny, deny, deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. Friends, that's how you twist, pervert the grace of God. How so? The Bible says, by denying that you only have one Master. You only have one Lord if you're a Christian, and His name is Jesus Christ. God's grace, freedom, says Peter, that's not a cover-up for evil. God's grace makes us servants, and you'll like this, the word for servants is slaves. Simply to mean, and don't think of any, you know, human slavery, abomination. Slavery to God, when He's your master, that is the only place to be. That is, our master is no longer Satan, says Peter, but Jesus You are never, 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 says the Bible, master of yourself. You might think you are. You can be free from King Charles III. You might have seen the ceremonies this past week or something like that. You said, oh, I'm so glad I'm free. I don't have a king uh, over me. You might be free from King Charles, but don't fool yourself. Your heart is still bound in sin. No matter who you are, and no matter what the governing authorities are, unless you're set free by Jesus Christ. You are never master of yourself, and if you think you are, that only shows how the evil one has blinded you to your bondage to him. Live as people who are free, says Peter. Really simply, it's be free. As Galatians will say, Paul will say in Galatians, um, Galatians 5, 1 and 13, but we are free from slavery to sin, so don't use your freedom, says Peter, to cover up evil. That is, don't think and say and live like this. I'm saved by grace. I'm free in Christ. Don't tell me what I can or can't do. Don't tell me I don't need to submit to the government. Don't tell me I need to pay my taxes or honor the president. I'm covered in the blood of Jesus. I'm free to live however I want because I live in America. Wrong. Wrong. Oh, it's deadly. Wrong. You are set free in Christ, if you're a Christian, to live, the Bible says, as servants of God. You see, not for yourself. What does that look like? Well, Peter simply sums it up there, doesn't he? Honor everyone. That is, respect everyone. All of God's creation, all God's creatures. Love the brotherhood, right? Your brothers and sisters in Christ. He's talked about that in chapter 122. Sincere brotherly love for brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you fear God. That is, there's, there's some kind of order here. Honor the emperor. Yes, respect the emperor. Your fear and reverence and adoration is for God, your love for God and for one another. And there is respect and honoring for all those authorities, the Bible says whom God has put in place. And so, friends, here's the thing. Christians, according to the Scripture, demonstrate, here's the thing, they demonstrate their complete freedom 
by wholeheartedly serving God and loving others. That is freedom. Oh, wait a minute, that sounds familiar. Where have I heard that before? Freedom to love God and love others. I've heard that before. Have you heard that before? Jesus, what's the greatest law in all the commandments? To love God and to love your neighbor as yourself. There's no greater commandment. And Peter says, when you are in Christ, oh boy, you begin to you begin by the Spirit to fulfill what God has called you to be, a lover of God and a lover of your neighbor. Wholehearted service. Well, let me just end with this. You say, well, wait a minute. First, you, first Peter says, you, you know, submission to authorities. Well, that's bad enough. And then uh, you tell us that true freedom uh, is... Uh, uh, is uh, service, slave to others. That is, that is not myself first, but others. I can't possibly do it. Oh, no. Mark 10, 42. You might remember the context. Uh, Jesus, as James and John come to him, uh, Jesus, as many professing Christians might say to Jesus today, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. The context is, Lord, we want the best seats. We want the skybox. We want uh, behind home plate. We want courtside. Um, we want free food served by everyone else around us. Can you arrange that for us? And Jesus said this. Jesus called them to him and said to them, You know, don't you? You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles, lord it over them. That's what those folks do. But it shall not be so. It shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. And you say, Jesus, I can't do it. I won't do it. For, said Jesus, even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give His life a ransom for many. Jesus submitted Himself, even obedience unto death. He could have called, remember? He could have called a legion of angels to stop the process. He didn't. And he came uh, not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. And if you're a Christian today, that means you. If you've been born again, that means you. If you're a Christian today, that means that, that Jesus was talking about you, that he came to give his life as a ransom, a payment, an atonement for your sin so that you would not have to pay the ultimate penalty, which the Bible says is death, for your sin. Jesus says, I submitted myself, uh, I came to serve, uh, and I came to die on that cross, so that your sin would be paid for, and that you would have 
life. And that you then would go forth, always remembering this Jesus, right here, in word and sacrament, as you go forth in a hostile culture, perhaps, to keep doing good and keep your eyes on the Savior, submitting uh, to the point of no sin, always God, and then men. But where there is no sin, we are able to submit in a hostile world, and we pray for our rulers and authorities, and we go forth as servants of God, not using our freedom, the grace we have in Christ, to somehow think we can um, sin with impunity in our words and our thoughts and our life. No, we go forth as those serving the king who has first served us. May that be true of us today. Let's pray as we come to the table of the Lord. Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, that we can, again, turn to the scripture, uh, which uh, always faithful, always true, will be here uh, much longer than we ever will be upon this earth. But your word goes forth. It is eternal in the heavens. And what the Apostle Peter says to us here and in uh, 21st century America, he's been saying by the Spirit every century since to every nation, every person who comes to profess Jesus as Lord, these words that we might in whatever nation we live testify to our only Lord, Master, Savior, Jesus Christ, who himself has given himself that we might be set free, not to live for ourselves, but to live for him. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Invite uh, Elder Matt forward as we uh, celebrate together uh, the sacrament uh, that the Lord has instituted for us. Hear these words from Matthew 26. Now as they were eating... Jesus took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you uh, in my Father's kingdom. The Lord of glory, the Bible says, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. That is, he, he humbled himself and took on, the Bible says, a form of a servant. He took on human, human nature, fully divine, uh, fully man, but he takes on that, that human nature uh, and humbles himself and was obedient, obedient to his parents, the Bible says, tells us when he was 12 years old. Um, as they called him from the temple, obedient ultimately throughout his life to the will of his father, obedient, the Bible says, submissive to his father, uh, even unto death. And though he had power, though he had might, though he had all authority, and though he could call all those angels, he came to serve. And we, friends, those who believe in this Savior, our testimony to the world must be Uh, to this Savior, the obedient Savior, the serving Savior, because we are indeed his treasured possession. As we come to the table of the Lord, God's graciously given us a visible uh, reminder of what the Lord Jesus has done in his humility 
and in his service uh, and in his death. This table uh, is for those who are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, those who have given their lives to him and are seeking to live for him, who are not denying their only Lord and Master Jesus Christ, but who have embraced him, who are part of his fellowship, are part of a faithful Christian church that acknowledges the one and true gospel in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so if you're visiting with us today and that describes you, then you are welcome also to participate uh, in the sacrament uh, today. So let's pray together for the Lord's blessing as we partake by faith. Heavenly Father, we thank you that not only have you given us the word, but you have given us uh, your body and blood. Lord, as a, a visual reminder to us, even as we eat and even as we drink, we know, dear God, that our Lord Jesus Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father. But by your Spirit, you are present with us at this table. And that by your Holy Spirit, we are, as it were, drawn up to heaven. That we are encouraged in our faith and strengthened in our faith, knowing we belong to this Savior, that we might go forth and live as his people in this world, and that others might ask of us, what is it that that makes you live this way? And then we can tell them about the Savior who came, the Savior who died, the Savior who is risen, and the Savior who is coming again. May it be so. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.